Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And, uh, you know, we are not going to disappoint you again today because you will have an anything but typical couple on this one. We've got Joe and Katie Kindred. Um, and if you are in the Lake Norman area, you know who these rock stars of culinary uh, delight are. Uh, trust me. And if you don't, you're going to want to go and experience uh, a couple of their restaurants. And I think we got a third one that's getting ready to open, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but we're going to start with the opening question, which is this. So we've got a little bit of background. You guys are walking through the parking lot. You have the Just Deuce It official team <laughs> uniform on. And everybody recognizes that anyway. So you wouldn't probably need to have that, but especially the Just Deuce It official team uniform is giving you guys away. You're walking and getting ready to go to the Cervases uh, official court, which is kind of the mix between pickleball, tennis, and table tennis or something like that. It's a unique thing. I've never learned about it until I talk with you guys about it. But you guys are getting ready. You're in the zone and you're walking by somebody and they go, oh, hey, that's Katie and Joe Kindred. What is it that you would like to have them say about you, Katie? And then we'll switch it over to Joe. Um, boy, if somebody was talking behind my back about me, I would want them to say, oh, I've heard about them. One of my neighbors worked for them and they really made a difference in their life. Oh, man, Joe, I'm sorry, but uh, she just aced. I like that. She just delivered an ace. It's going to be hard to recover from that, but go for it. Yeah. So um, I would, I'm going to have to take the joking route and I would, uh, I would hope that they would say, damn, it's a good thing he can cook. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, because, you know, I've just been so fortunate, you know, just with Katie and, and my three kids and, and these, you know, businesses and stuff like that, that um, sometimes I just got to pinch myself and make sure it's, it's still all real. And we're just so blessed. So I, I would, I would, I think that would be what I would say. Man, I love it. You, you guys, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you just deuced it right there, man. It's really good. So, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. So Ben, take it away. Yeah, so Katie and Joe own and operate restaurants, uh, Kindred, and then Hello Sailor. And I'm pretty sure BGW may be keeping Hello Sailor open just by ourselves because every time we have a meeting up there, we try and go and sit out by the lake. Um, so we're up there all the time. And they've been recognized by the James Beard Foundation, Bon Appetit, and then a plethora of others. So, so they've been, been recognized and, and really have kind of led the way and attracted people into the greater Charlotte area around a higher level, higher quality of dining. So we're going to dive into a whole bunch of this, but um, Adam Boatsman was talking to us prior and said, we needed to start this podcast off by going into your background story of how you guys met, how you got into business, things like that. So I'm going to leave this open-ended and let you, you kick it off and we'll, we'll take it from there. Do you want to talk? All right. So um, <clears throat> we, um, how Katie and I met, right? 
Yeah. Mm. Okay, perfect. Um, so we met in Chicago, which is where Katie's from. I was a AM sous chef at a uh, hotel called the Ambassadors Hotel. Um, and I work specifically in the pump room, uh, which is, it's like an old Frank Sinatra um, hotspot. Allegedly, like there was a tunnel that went from like the pump room all the way to like, I think what was it, the Playboy, Playboy Mansion or Playboy Tower back in the day. And that's where like Al Capone and all those kind of like famous people in the back in the day, they would always um, dine at the pump room and it's an iconic place. You know, it's got pictures of famous people all over the wall. And, and there was a famous table called table one. Yeah. And uh, we have a table one here. Um, we don't have a secret entrance to it, but we have a table one um, kind of in memory of that. But, um, but yeah, so we met and um, you know, I, I always thought, obviously I thought, you know, she was beautiful and sweet and kind and whatnot. Um, but at first, like we didn't really hit it off that well because she was like, she's kind of sassy. And um, <laughs> I was in my mid twenties and, uh, you know, I moved to Chicago, you know, because it was a great sports town and um, the food scene was great. And I, I liked the fact that it had like that Midwestern vibe to where it wasn't as like fast paced as New York city. And it wasn't quite as far as, um, you know, LA or San Francisco at the time. Uh, anyway, so we met, um, you know, became friends and, um, you know, it, it was, you know, I grew up in, in like a family where like, we didn't, you know, for us, like, you know, food celebrations were like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we would have like, not necessarily like these elaborate exposure to, um, worldly cuisine and fine dining. Like, that's just not like, like our family didn't have that type of money and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we ate great, don't get me wrong, but, um, it was just more Southern, uh, upbringing, if you will. So, you know, when I got to Chicago, the culture was just so cool. And I think one of the things that I love the most about Katie is, is just how broad her knowledge was for like all these different types of like, she would take me to these little taco shops and these little hole in the wall pizza joints. And like just these places that are just so quintessential Chicago. Um, obviously we went to Cubs game. She was a huge Cubs fan. And um, we really became like friends first, which I think was um, yeah. the foundation for our relationship as it is now. Um, and we just enjoyed being together. And she taught me a lot about wine. She taught me a lot about like how to pair food and wine. You know, like I, I wasn't really exposed to that. I learned a little bit about it at, at uh, Johnson and Wales in Charleston and culinary school, but it wasn't something that, um, you know, I necessarily like kind of put two and two together. Like when I was in college, I mean, I was like 19 and, you know, had other priorities, but, um, you know, at this, you know, really nice hotel and then learning about, you know, these crazy delicious wines, it was, um, it was really neat. So that's, uh, that's how we met. Oh man. Yeah. And that, then, that didn't disappoint. That was good. <laughs> she, she knew how to pair wines with food and you knew how to pair Coors Light with, with your foods yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a spicy chicken sandwich from wendy's yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um and then let's keep fast forwarding and now uh, what was the catalyst for you two to actually go, go into business and actually open up a restaurant um i mean we had honestly talked about it from even back before like when Joe's talking about when we were just friends we had talked about the idea of going into business together and owning a restaurant like we just thought we would make a good team and um and we even just joked about it being called kindred mm -hmm. um 
So, mm. but so that was, you know, 10 years prior to actually opening the restaurant. But I think for us, I took a trip overseas where we got engaged and stuff like that sort of early in our relationship. And then we decided we were going to move out to San Francisco together to kind of learn more. But the, the whole point of like learning more was that eventually we wanted to open our own restaurant. It just wasn't, we were kind of just waiting on the right time to do it. Um, I would say what threw us over the edge was when, at least for me, and, and also for Joe, but kind of different. So Joe had kind of reached as high as he could in the organization that he was in. Um, and then for me, I had, I see he does the back of the house. So cooking, you know, all things kitchen. And I do kind of all the other stuff in the front and like the, um, you know, uh, the books and all that kind of stuff. And I had already worked in all of those positions. So it was kind of like, what else is there to learn? You know, like at some point, we're just going to have to brave this and take the leap and, and do our own thing. So when we kind of got to that, that threshold where Joe had kind of gotten as high as he could and, you know, they were offering him more money. But at that point, it wasn't about that anymore. You know, we were like, OK, we, we this is kind of like we got to like jump now or forever hold our peace. So we started looking around at spaces kind of casually, just thinking it would come to us. Like when we walked into a space, it would just sort of come to us when it was the right fit. We weren't in a big hurry. You know, we we're like, we really want it to be right. I mean, we can wait another year if we need to. We just don't want to rush into this. We want it to be the right, you know, space and everything just feels right about it. And it wasn't until we walked into the space that is now Kindred that just everything just clicked and like fell into place. And, and not only clicked, emotionally and mentally for us when we walked into the place but like I mean we're first-time restaurateurs that's not a safe investment for most folks you know what I mean but even the funding like everything just click, 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 like fell into place so quickly so for us it just really felt kind of serendipitous like this is we're doing the right thing like this is what we're supposed to do it didn't make it any less terrifying but um but it felt right how did what was the part of the journey from you guys were in chicago to now all of a sudden you're back in the charlotte region what what brought you back how did that work well so we so we were in chicago together and then i moved to italy for about three and a half months and joe came to visit me when i was out that was a work opportunity and um, he came to visit me out there and that we got engaged when we were out there. And then I, the plan was that I was going to move back. Joe moved back home to the Charlotte area while I was gone um, to be uh. closer, closer to his family. And then I moved back to Charlotte to meet up with him. And then the plan was always, we're going to drive across the country to California. We're going to work out there for a while. And then we weren't really sure what we were going to do after yeah, that. Yeah, no. We didn't really have a plan beyond that. So when um after we got married and we were living out there we had to make a decision like do we want to stay here do we want to go back to chicago because we knew we wanted to be closer to family ultimately so i mean there was a chance we were going to stay in california but ultimately it was probably going to be either chicago or or the um, davidson area and ultimately we chose to move here for things as you know the weather is way better. The cost of living is way less. We're closer to Joe's family, which was really great. Um, now your family. Now, yeah. Ultimately, I thought 
my family would probably want to move down there too because they're you know aging and it's difficult to live in Chicago as you know yeah you know with the snow and all that so it just kind of made sense for us and um we felt there was a good opportunity here too I mean Charlotte was sort of a budding restaurant city Chicago was much more mature restaurant city so we thought there was a lot of opportunity there that we could make a difference we could you know so yeah so it, it kind of all signs pointed to coming back here and, and Katie you had mentioned a few minutes ago of first time open up a restaurant for you two that it's not a safe stable investment things like that and in yeah. doing research there there was a quote that you had of walking through a packed kindred restaurant and still feeling like, hey, there's a chance that these people just stopped showing up. So yeah. at what point, or maybe you haven't even reached it yet, right? But at what point did you two realize that you've actually actually built something special instead of just the day-to-day grind of starting a new business where you really, you're in it so you don't realize what's going on? When were you able to take that step back and realize you were doing something? For me, it took a solid year. Um, like the first year was very scary. Like it just felt like I, I, for me at least, it just felt like everything was balancing on this really delicate, I don't know. Like I, I always was like, tomorrow is the day that just randomly, nobody's going to make a reservation and like, nobody's going to come in. And like, there was no, but I, but you also, when you have no sort of metrics to draw from, you have no like, idea of the ebbs and the flows of your business it's just scary you just don't know you know like so I think it took a solid full circle season of the year for me to finally realize that people will come back you know <laughs> like you know more people will come and people will come back and it's going to be okay um yeah now I don't worry about that nearly as much as I did but yeah I mean you do think that. I mean I would walk through and I'm like it seems like they're all having fun I think we're doing good here but it's very scary yeah. it and truly then, is jumping off a cliff like when you open a business you feel like you're jumping off a cliff and then Joe what were some of those things in that first year that you two did um as partners as as a couple every, different dynamics there to play with but to be able to support each other, right? Because you're not in that alone. It's not like you're a solo entrepreneur starting it yourself. You guys are in this together with all that uncertainty. So what were some of the things you were able to do to help each other keep moving forward during that time? Yeah, um, so I, I still don't ever have that feeling that like, I, I use that feeling of like, what if people don't show up as kind of like a, um, as like a reality check for me to try and like keep pushing the bar a little bit further. Um, I feel like that kind of, you know, if, if we're like, Oh, we made it or, Oh, we're, we're, I mean, you just, you, you literally, you don't know. I mean, look at what happened with COVID. I mean, like we had to shut down, we had to close one of our restaurants for three months, you know? So, I mean, like you can think that you've made it and you can think all that, but it's so much more than just running a business. Like I remember sitting at the table right next to this probably three months in, we had a meeting with our then um, CFO. So my mentor is Jim Noble and uh, he has roosters, King's Kitchen, all like he's got an empire in Charlotte and it's growing. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, he was kind enough to basically like let us share their CFO because we had hired this accountant when we opened up 
Um, I wish I could say it was Adam Boatsman, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was this like guy who like he was just in over his he head. Was he was literally in over his head. Yeah. And so like, you know, we kept asking him like, "Hey, what do we need to do to break even? What do we need to do to break even?" And uh, he just couldn't provide us with an answer. And then the bank account was like hovering right at like two thousand dollars. And like every time we went to like make payroll, it was like, you know, you got to borrow some money from this person, this person. It was like a lot of people don't hear this side of the story. Like it wasn't like all like, you know, roses and halos and, and us crushing it. I mean, Katie was like pulling her hair out. Um, but, you know, so we met with her. And she said, all right, well, she was able to dive into our books, fix everything, get everything, you know, and we like learned that we were just like losing tremendous amounts of money and that we had to do like $35,000 a week to break even. And at the time we were doing like maybe $20,000 a week in sales. Um, So it was like, you know, deep gulp, like look at each other. I remember like for about like a week, it was kind of just like silence. Like it was just, we both tell that it was just we were kind of walking on eggshells and um at that point you know I kind of just like dug my heels in and like really tried to push the food and we didn't give up and Katie was always very encouraging like no 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 no, we're not going to do like burgers or stuff like that on the dinner menu she's like you still got to do what you're passionate about and um you know, Katie has always been tremendous at balancing like her work life with like our, our kids and stuff. So she was always the one that would be disciplined um, to get out of here at, at a reasonable hour to be home with the kids, make sure the kids have everything they need at school. But our, the first like six months to a year were like kind of just a blur for us. Um, you know, just just a mix of like stress, not necessarily knowing how to like cope with that stress, not knowing you know, if we're going to make it or whatnot. And then just through like an act of God, we had a great write up um, that like just changed our business overnight. I mean, talk about like, hmm. you know, huge, like who knows, like if we'd be, you know, sitting here, like we, we were in an interview one time and um, it was like the impact that, you know, this, this article has on people. And, and I told them like, I don't know if I would be sitting here right now. Like if we would be sitting here at Kindred and we certainly probably wouldn't have hello sailor and much less like, you know, all these new projects that we're wanting to work on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still just going through that stressful time in my life and stuff like that. And, you know, there's still stress, obviously running a business. I always try and make sure it's probably not super healthy, but like I always try and have like some sort of like, we're, it's not good enough. We're not good enough mentality because I feel like that like keeps, keeps us pushing again. I'm not saying like that's healthy or anything. Just, just fear motivated. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, that healthy dose of fear that like, yeah. at any second. I don't know. You know, out. like I'm always like, Oh my God, the menu's not good or we're, we're doing this wrong <laughs> and stuff like that. But I also feel like if you, then you like, you're constantly wanting to evolve. You're wanting to get better. You're yeah. wanting to do new things and stuff like that. But I was a really long winded answer, but. I'm still not Nothing. walking around the restaurant to answer that quickly. That's really good. It's interesting because there's a, there's a common theme between another guest that we had, Esbeth and Daya. His, his story is unbelievable, but he calls it complacency. And I think that's probably a good, you know, it's a, probably a healthier counterbalance to fear and being motivated, but that, that, understanding that you have an ambulance going by just a heads up yeah that's fine uh but uh 
complacency is not a good thing, you know, and it sounds to me like you're, you're not willing to embrace the comfort of complacency. And there's, there's something that's actually healthy about that. I think. Yeah. We um, like, for example, one of the COVID casualties was we got rid of our lunch menu and um, lunch was just so complacent here. It was like a burger, the Momo salad, which is a salad designed after my mom or like a salad curated for my mom, especially she's very important in our lives. Um, and then it was like an occasional falafel and like, that was it. And it was just like, we honestly, like Katie and I are not regretting that lunch is gone. Like, because (laughs) we didn't change the menu. It wasn't very chef driven. We made like one last ditch attempt to like make it super chefy and like have it be like this really fun lunch menu. And like the guests just wanted burgers and fries and stuff like that. So we got rid of lunch, but, um, we blame it on COVID, but. Yeah, the momo salad is quite good so you've had the momo so it it moved over to hello sailor and yes. it's gonna make like a, a kind of guest appearance at milk bread and more of its true original kindred form over there so we might have okay. to take it off hello sailors and you can change it over there so don't yeah. don't take it off a of hello sailor man i love that thing <laughs> <laughs> and the hush puppies are like amazing so just so you know Joe, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That was a um, that was a very interesting uh, recipe development process. The trick to our hush puppies, believe it or not, is frozen grated butter. Um, oh wow! It, it's something about the temperature of the butter. If if the butter is ice cold, and when I say ice cold, I mean like frozen, like pretty much frozen. Um, when it hits the the hot grease, it creates almost like a beignet like thing and that's why like when you get those a fresh batch they're like i mean it's i, I agree i think they're really yeah good. right but they're hard they're to execute. Have. Have cornmeal too yeah like, and really good, good cornmeal like <laughs> yeah so joe you've you've mentioned menu a few different times and one of the things that i, I think is so unique with your story <laughs> and evolution as a chef is is the focus on the menu and what's happened at kindred so what what gave you the internal permission to move away from the more traditional things on the menu that some of the things that you started kindred with to getting more, I think in the lane of you expressing yourself as an actual chef and and what fits you most naturally? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think, um, I think a lot of that comes from like, um, you start to develop a little bit more confidence in, in, in yourself. Like, um, you know, even like before we had our own restaurant, I remember I was the executive chef for one of, um, uh, I, it was at Roosters Uptown and I, I got like a, a really good write up or whatever. And like, you know, you, a lot of times in the kitchen, you, you're not necessarily like rewarded for your work. You know, it's just, you're kind of like the people that are down in there that are just grinding, and um, so it felt, it, it felt the sense of like pride and this accomplishment. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. Um, and so that, get, that gave me a boost of confidence at, at my current job or at my previous job. And then I think um, just like, you know, people, you know, servers coming down and be like, oh my gosh, Dr. Doolittle's back in tonight. He really wants the blank, you know, or, or so-and-so's back tonight. They really love the scallops the other night. And then that started becoming like more of a routine thing. And so you're like, 
All right, cool. And um, when we opened, we, we were, um, uh, you know, we'd never done this. So, you know, we were, as we still are now, you know, really trying to source things through local farmers, making sure that like, if we're going to get things like olive oils, you know, from Italy or wherever they're coming from, like making sure that like, we know about the sourcing. Um, but, you know, we don't deem ourselves a farm to table restaurant. And I think that probably would help answer this question is that like a lot of chefs early on, they're like, oh, I'm only going to cook local food. And like the reality of that, as someone who seven years ago, I would have said the same thing. But for somebody who now has been through, you know, seven seasons of watching farmers and what they can grow through the seasons of like November to March, I mean, your, your clientele is going to get really tired of sweet potatoes and kale. Um, yeah. There's only so much you can do, you know what I'm saying? So we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves and say we're farm to table, we're hyper local, anything like that. What we wanted to do is say like we're ingredient driven and we're source driven, meaning like we want to be able to tell you where our olive oil is from. We want to tell you about this flour. We want to tell you about this pasta shape or whatever it may be. Um, so I think like that and mixed with, um, you know, starting to gain your footing in a kitchen. And, and we had we've always had a great team here, um, you know, great group of people down in the kitchen that would, you know, work their tails off. I think that helped out big time. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely did. Um, you, you mentioned Jim Noble, and like he's a a uh, well-respected, revered restaurateur that goes beyond just restauranting, and you know, and his food quality, which is amazing. But like he is a ripple maker in the city of Charlotte. Like he, you know, he's doing amazing things through King's Kitchen and all kinds of stuff. Like, and I've never even met him, but just his legacy is pretty amazing. Do you still stay in touch with him or, you know, talk about that influence on, on you guys? Yeah. So he, uh, Chef Noble hired me um, when I was 18 years old as a culinary school kid um, as an intern coming out of Johnson and Wales um, mm. at his original and first flagship restaurant in Charlotte called Nobles um, yeah. off of Tyvola, Tyvola, Tyvola Road. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, South Park area. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, it's funny. The executive chef, that was um, working under Jim Noble at the time as a guy named Brian Stockholm, who was a very well-known chef in, in, in Charlotte um, and, you know, restaurateur. He has Poppy Queso. Um, he has, I think a now he's, he's somehow he's involved in that um, hamburger shack that, that um, the guys from Plaid Penguin are doing. Um, but he's got a great food stall in Optimus Hall called Poppy Queso. So I would encourage you to check that out. But um, he was the executive chef and he kind of just mentored me along with Chef Noble. But that was like my first time, like, I remember like Chef Noble would always talk about German Johnson tomatoes and he'd show up with bags full of them in like these like brown sacks. And that was like the first time I had had like a true like BLT the way it's meant to be. And for anyone that knows um, Chef, like he's known for his BLTs and stuff like that. And um I've got a pretty good, good one up my sleeve nowadays, <laughs> but I, I got to give him some credit there. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, he taught me a lot of, uh, a, a lot about like integrity, um, you know, a lot about like how to treat people and how to, um, you know, try and, try and be a leader beyond 
you know, just like being a chef, but also like, you know, just vision casting. He always would preach that, you know, a chef, it's like a three-legged stool, you know, yeah, the food's important, but you also got to, you know, be able to get along with people and you got to be able to control your costs. So it was food, people and costs. Um, and those were the three things that I think like, you know, when we opened Kindred, it, it kind of helped us out because, as soon as I realized like how much money we were losing, I was able to like dial in our food cost and really try and get less expensive cuts of meat and things like chicken thighs and items that like, you know, like still to this day, we use Wagyu eye of round um, on our beef tartare where, you know, some people will use like a ribeye or a New York strip or a beef tenderloin. And, um, you know, I just got creative with, with different muscles and stuff like that. And a lot of that I attribute to uh, what I learned under him. Cool. Yeah. I want to pivot for a minute away, away from the, the food and uh, that side and more on the business side, because both of you have, have talked a decent amount about legacy in one capacity or other, and it being more about just the food. Um, so what's, I guess this will be what for, for each of you, but Katie, we'll start with you. What is that legacy that you're striving for? Um, I, I think that I would boil that down to less about us and more about the kind of like wake that we leave behind. And like, I, I see that as I would, I, you know, if I turn the lights off at Kindred for the last time and reflected back on our career and we had like this wake full of successful people behind us you know what I mean like people who either went on to do their own business or went or worked for us and like you know were able to create a career you know we were able to provide you know a stable career for people um something they could go home proud of something they could raise a family on and if we could impact our community in a way that um if we could just leave it better than we found it. We talk about that with our kids all the time. And I mean, at the end of the day, like that to me is a life well lived. Um, so more about how you, if you can take your one little precious life and affect as many others as possible in a positive way, I think that to me would be the, that's the idea of the legacy for me. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Anything else, Joe, to add on top of that? Um, I, I just love when the underdog kind of succeeds. Um, you know, I, for me, you know, the restaurant business will accept you as you are. It doesn't matter, color your skin, what your beliefs are, what you know, whatever that may be. And I think that's the coolest part. You know, I, I played sports growing up, and I always thought the neatest part is, is that teamwork and that camaraderie of the part of a sports team where like, you know, you might, might not be from the same part of town, but like, you know, for that four hours or those, you know, nine innings or whatever it is that you're playing, like you, this is your brother, you know, or, or your sister. And I've always thought that's cool. And, um, you know, I love it. Then when we get somebody in here, like, like, you know, like one of our sous chefs right now, Mark, he's a Johnson Wales graduate, you know, and he just came in here and you could tell he was like, you know, 
having a good old time and it's like, you know, in his college years, you know, partying up. And I had a conversation with him. I said, cause he could cook his butt off, still can. And I said, man, I, I would love to really pour into you. And I could see you being like an important, you know, an integral role of like what we do. And I think just watching somebody make that transition to where like they're, they're here to just kind of go through the motions and, and maybe get something on their resume. But then when they really buy into what it is that you're trying to do and like, now he's like the number two guy in the kitchen and like, you know, he's going to be running the kitchen this weekend with one of our chefs being out of town. And like, I couldn't be more confident in what's going to happen um, this weekend here, even though like two of our leaders will be out of town. Um, I know that he's going to crush it, you know, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. super excited about that. And I'm excited that he committed, you know, so much time to buying into what it is that we do, but also like making lifestyle choices to where like, you know, now in the morning, he's like not rolling out of bed and coming to work. He's like, you know, we go to the gym together sometimes and we just, you know, we really live life, you know, and, and, and do community together, which is, which is a really great opportunity as a leader to be able to provide that for somebody. Mm -hmm. and so go for it. Go ahead. go ahead, Ben. <laughs> um, I think we both have a lot of things we want to ask. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Going further on the employee side, what's that hiring process look like for you? How do you how do you make sure you get the right people in that you then can pour into and they can you see they can buy into that bigger vision, be a part of it? Uh, it's funny. I just had this conversation with a chef friend in New York City because they're struggling right now with like COVID. You know, a lot of people have left the city and so they're really struggling hiring. And I told her, well, we kind of had the inverse problem because in Davidson, I mean, when we opened, there just was not like a deep well of like culinary talent up here, you know? And mm -hmm. so, you know, we, what I said to her and what I'll say to you is like, I, and we actually still do this today, despite the fact that there is a deeper well now, but, um, you know, we've always had the mantra of hiring off of character and, um, you know, I think it's so much easier to teach somebody knife skills or to how to hold a tray than it is to like teach them to genuinely care about food or people or um, the things that we value. And so if, you know, I, one of our dearest friends and arguably one of our best hires we've ever made was, a, you know, he was a, uh, what was his title at Chick-fil-A? I mean, he just worked at, he worked at Chick-fil-A in Huntersville or whatever, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And like, it, it, but that to, like, I mean, you don't need to have fine dining experience to work at Kindred. We just want, we want to know that you care about people. And he's to this day, still one of our most dear friends now and um, was a terrific manager who got promoted to GM um, with as little experience as, working at Chick-fil-A hourly, you know? And like, so I think that, you know, if you if you judge the people off of their character rather than their experience, um, you're always gonna have a better a better bet for them buying into what you're doing because you're, you're like, I mean, y'all have heard of the beer test. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when, if you want people to be interacting with your customers and you want them to be, you know, communicating your vision um, you got to make sure that they can see it, 
you know, I mean, if they can't see it, then it's, it's not going to work. So we had plenty of people when we were doing our first hiring process. I remember sitting with Blake, who was our tech wizard that just came in here a little ago. So he was been with us since before we opened. And I, I sat down and hired the front of the house staff with him. And we had people who were like, oh, I worked at the French Laundry and blah, blah, but they like, they just didn't, they didn't pass that test of like, I just don't think that you see what we're trying to do here. You know what I mean? And so we hired people who had no, zero restaurant experience and some of them are still working for us today, you know, like, so I think, you know, through and through, obviously it's helpful if, if you have the skills to take us like a little bit higher, but at the end of the day, like we would rather have a career full of like, folks where we got to like you know make a difference for you and you could like learn a new skill and like come up through our organization and stay with us for a while and like you know what I mean then have you know the next hot shot cook or whatever right. that's going to come in yeah. here like I mean that's great too don't get me wrong but like yeah we've had a lot more success with looking outside of our industry even sometimes to find just great people and then just having them come and make an, an impact our organization for the better uh, from a culture perspective. You, you hit on one of my hot points and I'm, Ben and I were going down the same path <laughs> simultaneously. That's really fun with him. Um, but this is like such a passion zone of mine because I, what you said is super profound and not everybody gets it. Or if they, and if they don't get it, they're like, well, how do I hire for character? I just met them. I would love to know like the stuff that you look for. What are some of the subtle cues or some of the things that you do as part of your screening to really kind of poke in like what's really behind the wall on that character? Yeah, I mean, you know, people will surprise you. So I can't say that we have some like perfect screening process that like, you know, is like works every time. But, yeah. um, but we definitely, we ask folks what they do outside of work. You know what I mean? And we really do value when people have interests outside of their vocation. I think that that's sort of a telltale sign that they have like a sort of deeper well to draw from than just like what they do for a living. Um, I, I do tend to be attracted to folks that have families. Like I always think that that's, you know, not that that's a deal breaker because we have plenty of um, employees that don't, but like people who are very passionate about their family, I think is always a pretty good sign that, um, you know, they got, they got more going on than just work, but it's kind of, it's kind of <coughs> ironic that like, while we want them to be really passionate about what we're doing, we kind of are looking for th them to be interested in other things, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and, and aside from that, I think just sort of sitting down with them and asking them what their dreams are and what they want to do. And, you know, like how, how could we be helpful and like getting you closer to that? Like whether it's has anything to do with our restaurant or not, we, we really want to know what makes you tick and like, what your goals are and like, how could we, how could your time with us get you a little bit closer to those? Um, because then I think we just sort of, we, we get, we get aligned in a way. And, and, and I can distinctly recall going through these conversations with like server assistants back in 2014, when we were training and getting ready to open. 
And I remember one girl's like, well, I want to be a nurse. I'm like, well, great. This is, I, we have just the right spot for you. You're going to learn, you know, how to deal with difficult people. You're going to be, you're going to have to multitask. You know, you're going to have to think on your feet. You're going to like all these, all these soft skills will apply to that. And I'm going to make sure that when we sit down, we do tons of one-on-ones. Like we're going to make sure that when we sit down, we draw it back to what you want to be and what you want to do. And like, so we take, you know, we, we make notes on our employees and like try and really keep track of like how we can sort of like, you know, take whatever skill set they learn here, even if it's far outside of what they really want to do and, and help them apply it um, in a tangible way. Because I mean, it's not, it, it, like I said, when you, you know, when you asked earlier, it's, at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's like, okay, how can we set you on a better path for you, you know? And, and that sort of buy-in uh, all just circles back to making the restaurant a better place. Cause then people will come in here, they come in here to dine and they're like, it just feels different in here. It feels like people really want to be here. Like they're, they're, you know what I mean? Your staff really seems like they're enjoying their time here. They seem really bought in, you know, they're all working really well together. And I, I don't think that's a happy accident. I think it's just like, you know, you, you just, you, you know, and we get it wrong all the time. Don't get me wrong. You know I mean? We fall short every day, but, um, but we try really hard. Like we really did genuinely put more effort into that than anything else in, in terms of just investing into our employees and um, well, new hires. Yeah, I think the one thing that um, Katie and I have, have worked really hard on is our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some people are like, oh yeah, you got to kiss the kindred's rabbit foot or whatever. But I mean, there's a certain like, you know, there's a certain truth to that because like for me, like we have a daily log, like let's say we're not here because let's face it, we're not here all the time. Um, you know, and it goes through like all things that go down. Like for me, like I don't focus on the oopsies, you know, like a oopsie is like, I forgot to ring in Mike's steak, you know, or I forgot to, you know, get table 72's beer on time. Like we can fix that because we've been um we've been granted so much grace through the community that like they understand we're gonna make mistakes but what what i can't fix is like you know mark's attitude with a certain guest or what i can't fix is people that can't get along with people i mean like if if we are in the people business in the restaurant business and if and if you said katie says this all the time if you for one minute if you think we're not in the people business, this, that that's what we are. I mean, we're, yes, it's, it's food and it's booze, but that's like maybe like 5% of it, like 95% of it is people. And that's the people, whether that's the people you, you know, let, let in your restaurant. And there's some people that like, we don't let in our restaurant because they're disrespectful to our guests. But you know, it also goes to like down to your dishwasher. Like how does your dishwasher treat your service staff? How does your dishwasher treat your chefs? How does your chefs treat your dishwasher? Like it's all this thing about people. And like when people have conflict, you know, early on our culture and our values and our leaders within our team can like, they sniff it out. Like it's, you know, it's, it takes no time at all. And and generally like it takes a leader, like a senior server or a senior cook or a sous chef that says, Hey, you know, Mark, doesn't have what it takes. There's no integrity there. And then that's when we jump into action and we give them the opportunity to coach them up. And if, if they're good, they're going to, they're going to kind of change. But um, I tell everybody that like, doesn't understand that conversation. It's like, just give it 90 days. And after 90 days, it doesn't start to click. 
then let's sit down and we'll talk and I'll explain more about why we do this and why we don't substitute this. And why are you so, you know, adamant about not letting customers add things to your dishes? And it's like, just, just go with the process for 90 days. And if after 90 days, you don't have those explanations, let's sit down and let's talk. Um, but I think it's just, it, it's people and you know, quick, fast and in a hurry, if somebody can't get along with people, whether it's their peers or their customers, they're not going to work it there. It's just not going to happen here. Yeah. Another kind of thing on that same note is the, uh, like outside of the hiring process is that continuous communication, like throughout anybody's tenure with us, whether it's a year, six months or seven years, we, um, we are like probably obsessive level communicators, like where, you know, we, we really want to make sure that, um, uh, we're getting service rolling. Sorry, it's about to get like fun up in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, but we um, try to keep these constant lines of communication. We're de we never shy away from, I don't want to say like confrontation, but like from like addressing things in the moment and like being sure to tell folks like if, if they're falling short, we are not going to not tell you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to make it very clear in a respectful way, but we're going to address it in the moment and, like, make sure that things get addressed. Because I think the second you let things go and just fester, that's when you start to get those culture issues. So, like, if there is, like, interpersonal conflict between two servers, we're going to make sure it gets, like, worked out, like, right then and there. And it just makes it a whole lot easier when there is some morale problems. You can identify it really quickly because you don't have this undercurrent of other issues going on. Like everything's addressed like, and, and squashed immediately. For anybody listening to this, uh, this was a real-time example of communication and dealing with it in the moment because uh, <laughs> there was some partying going on in the back room there as they're getting ready to open up the restaurant and, and joe had to jump in on it and like hey guys we're recording a podcast <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no nothing like a little outcast to get your day going that's right <laughs> um so katie joe had complimented you earlier on having being able to do a good job of keeping a balance between family and life outside of work, things like that. And then you talked about looking for potential employees of having things outside of work. So once, once you find those people and then they become in and they start going through the training, getting used to it, how do you then encourage and empower them to strive for that same work-life balance instead of totally focusing on Kindred or on Hello Sailor or the companies themselves? Yeah, we've had um, had a lot of stuff like that come up, particularly more with like the leadership positions, because I think when you have like the hourly positions, it's a lot easier to because you have a lot more time, you know, but uh, leaders are going to by nature be a little bit more bought in. But we. Um, but we, then there's somebody like Kathy. Right. You know, who like couldn't be more bought in. Yeah, I mean, it's not not a level of like emotionally bought in or like intellectually bought in but i mean more just the time commitment and right, like yeah. the yeah. In, in the access to them i mean like there is a certain degree of access that managers give up you know for their days off like if somebody you know all of a sudden like there's a delivery getting sent on sunday and you're the only one who knows about it like we're going to need to be able to reach out to you or whatever but 
we do um, talk a lot about um, personal boundaries with our leaders. And like when we, when we do our one-on-ones with our, with our hourly staff, they, they can tend to take a slightly different shift with the leaders, like because we do this exact same amount of one-on-ones and check-ins with them. And like a lot of time, the, the biggest focus is like, how is your work-life balance? Like, how are you, are you able to unplug? Are you doing enough? Um, we have a lot of focus on wellness and health. Like, are you doing enough to take care of yourself? And like, you know, um, we have bought people gym memberships. We have, I mean, I can't, there's all kinds of things because Joe and I are very avid fitness people and um, not just for physical health, but also for emotional and mental health. We think it's just such a critical piece. And I think in our business, it can be very stressful and you're dealing with people. We're off when you're you're on and we're on when you're off. And so it's just, it's a countercultural life sound. So I think we have to be very uh, vigilant about like taking good care of ourselves, eating well and, um, you know, exercise and all that kind of stuff and finding the time, meditation, time with your family, like all that kind of stuff. So we also really try and empower our team to like put a lot of value in that. Um, we also, you know, we're um, Christians, we go to church on Sundays, like that's a big piece of, that's really important to us. And like, you know, just any of those pieces that whatever makes you whole, you know what I mean? Like all those little pieces that kind of come together that make people whole, that fill their tank. You know, um, we do not like when people come in on their days off, like, and we really try and try and like put boundaries around that too. So it's really more just a conversation than anything else. Cause you can't tell somebody what to do with their time. But um, I think inspiring a culture that puts a lot of value in that is helpful because then people are like, oh, well, you're reading all the time and you're running and exercising and taking long walks with your dog. Like, Oh, that, you know, me, you know what I mean? It just, it, if we set a good example too, I think that's always, that, that never hurts either. Talk to us about kind of your set communication rhythm with your leaders. And, you know, like, uh, cause I think that's one of those things where a lot of people, again, they, intellectually embrace it, but they don't know how to operationally make it happen. And like, what, what are some of the things that you guys do on a regular basis with your team from a communication standpoint, besides just dealing with, Hey, you know, we're on a podcast, turn off the music or whatever. Um, I mean, I think our big, we're big email people, um, Google calendars, Google drive. Um, we have text threads for like group text threads, things like that. But um, we do do, and I don't know if I've actually ever worked in a restaurant that does it as diligently as we do, but we have a daily log. So every single time there's a service at any restaurant, each manager contributes to a log. It has information about who, um, any guests of note that came in that we need to be aware of, any issues that came up, any positive things that came up. There's a section for HR, there's a section for the next day, what to expect. There's comps, sales, weather, all the things. And so that is a very thorough document that comes from each store every single shift and that goes to every manager and everybody's expected to read it. And that's sort of like a pretty solid like level of communication for it. Like, especially as a growing company, we, we feel it very important to stay in touch with, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, on top of that, like new hires, like they'll send us a picture and, you know, information on anybody that's hired new. That's kind of a new thing as we're growing because we're, 
we're very always very fearful of like losing t i hate the idea of walking into one of my businesses and seeing somebody's face for the first time and not knowing who they are you know who's working for me i mean it's kind of going to be inevitable at some point but um but we really really want to try and st stay in touch with that but, but yeah i don't know if we have any like magic sauce secrets but we definitely yeah, are very good. thorough communicators via email and logs and and things like that we have lots of processes like our restaurants are pretty fine-tuned in terms of processes on a store level um so things remain consistent but yeah can you guys speak a little bit more to that especially as you keep growing mm -hmm. how are you ensuring maintaining the things like the, the high quality, the people-focused culture, how are you ensuring to be able to maintain that as you two grow? You want me to go? Yeah. So for me in the kitchen, um, I think it's about having like just a great team. Um, you know, you, right now with COVID, you know, I think everybody understands that like finding, you know, help is, is very difficult. Now our core group of managers and cooks um, have remained with, you know, with us during the pandemic, but, um, you know, like at hello sailor, for example, we have an executive chef. Um, that's who I was talking to when the podcast started and we're working on this recipe and he's just got a phenomenal palate and he's, he's arguably a better recipe developer, um, than I am when it comes to an execution standpoint, I can come up with some crazy ideas, but, you know, getting me to that finishing line, you know, he, he can get to that finishing line quicker. And I think it's about me as a leader, understanding like my strengths and my weaknesses and knowing and surrounding myself with people that are like, you know, they always say like, if you surround yourself with people that are better than you, you're going to eventually, you're going to get better. You're going to move on and find a new team. Um, and then, so that's kind of like with Hello Sailor. And then he's got his own great sous chefs there. And then Kindred, we have a chef de cuisine that worked with me back when I was with Noble. Um, and he's been with us, you know, now better part, I think for like four years. And he, um, you know, he, he's, a, he's just a dude of integrity. You know what I'm saying? He's not your best cook, you know, but he is just like, he's, he's, when it comes time to make a decision, you know, that it's going to be calm, it's going to be poised and it's going to be made with integrity. Um, and so that's what we love about him over here at Kindred. Um, so I, I think it's just about like empowering people and holding them accountable when they fall short. Um, but also just like giving them a sense of like ownership and leadership, um, whether that's through like, you know, constant affirmation, um, constant communication. Uh, but I think like, you know, if, if, if you see me in the restaurant every time that you're here, that means that like, there's definitely something not happening properly within our company. Um, because, you know, one of our mentors out of Charleston always says like, if you're working in your restaurants, you're not work. You're not able to be working on your restaurants. Um, and when I say working in your restaurants, I don't mean like us sitting here and checking emails and stuff like that. But I mean like Katie having to work a host stand at Kindred. That means that like there was a severe breakdown. Somebody's sick. Something's going on. So forth. Or like me having to work an expediting shift at Kindred. That means like somebody's sick or some protocol didn't happen because when we're here, we want to be like growing the company, not like just having the company maintain itself. And if we have a specific role within that day-to-day -day task, we're not able to dream. We're not able to like um, focus on finding things that we're falling short on. We're, we're executing 
and we don't want to be executing. We want to be casting vision and growing and getting better. Yeah, I would say um, it's not too different in the front of the house. When we're in sort of a unique time right now where we are going from two restaurants to three, um, and that's affording us some opportunity to think outside the box in terms of how we structure things in order to, make, to maintain, you know, a level of excellence. And so, you know, we always try our best to not think within the box, but like think, think of ways that we can grow in a way that will make us uniquely better as an organization, as opposed to just like, oh, okay, well, when you get, when you get to this level, you're supposed to have a CEO and a CFO or whatever, like this is just sort of the normal structure. So for us, we're really trying to sort of like look at everything through the lens of like our culture and like what we put the most value in. And so for us, like we have a corporate level, for example, like position specifically like carved out for the experience and not just the experience of the guests, but also the employee. So any person who interacts with our business, be it an employee or a guest, like that person, that's their only focus. Like that's their only focus and whether that's an interaction with our brand or any of our brands from a media perspective, from an employment perspective, from a dining perspective, like we want literally one person that's their that's their sole focus is to making sure that every time you touch one of our brands in and in a minuscule way or in a substantial way like a career there's been a tremendous amount of attention put to those touch points um be it training or branding or photography or anything so um so you know it's just maybe taking that inverse approach to like it's okay to shake it up and look at it different um, based on what your values are, you know, I mean, if, if, if you have a more traditional company setup, there's nothing wrong with that. But for us, like the experience of when you walk into one of our, our restaurants, we want to feel different. And if it's going to feel different, then we need to make sure that we invest resources into maintaining that experience level um, excellence. Yeah, that's, that's a cool uh, thing. Have you given that position a title yet? Uh, yeah, it's the CXO, <coughs> Chief Experience Officer. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. You know, I don't know very many um, restaurateurs that have a dedicated CXO, but that's exactly right. I mean, you guys set the tone as the owners. That is clear. Um, but having and saying we're going to put our money where our mouths are and making sure that we've got somebody that that's their job to keep pushing, keep tapping, making sure that we're delivering the consistency across employees as well as the customer experience. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, we look at it kind of like an inverse pyramid, right? So we're, Joe and I being at the bottom and it's our job to serve the next level team and it's their job to serve them. And so if we keep trickling up, you know, then the experience that like we can cast that vision all day long, but if it stays in our little echo chamber, it's not going to help. So like we, we really try and have the, those levels of communication flow through um, all the way down um, to our stewards in the dish pit, you know, crushing it every day, you know? Um, yeah. So, so when we're doing it right, it works that way. <laughs> 
I want to take us in a, a slightly different direction before we before we wrap up here. Sure. Um, can we talk about how you two navigate the husband wife running businesses together? Because we've had guests that swear by it, and there's others that swear against it. So, mm-hmm. what uh, the good and the bad? What are some of those things that you guys have gone through to um, to navigate that relationship and the business partner relationship? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to really offer a very rounded answer to that only because it's all we know, you know what I mean? Like we met working and like, we've always worked together. I mean, pretty much 80% of my adult working life has been with Joe. So I just don't really know anything other than that. And frankly, I don't, I don't know how people don't do that at this point. I'm like, how could you have a substantial relationship and like a healthy marriage when you never see each other? So like for me, it, that's all I know. So I, so I, I don't know like if I can give a really like sage-like advice there, but, um, but I think for us, you know, and if this is a constant battle, it's not something we're great at. We, we slip up all the time, but like we do try pretty hard to have some boundaries around the house versus the work like and they're gonna bleed together there's just no way around it um but yeah like well you know when we're and we've gotten better at this I feel like over the years but like when we're at home like we're not like checking our emails and like freaking out or whatever like we have a pretty structured day like I wake up pretty early and I'll check my work email in the morning but then once my kids are up I put it up and I'm not going to deal with that until you know the afternoon and you know what I'm saying just kind of mm-hmm. creating those boundaries but yeah I think um we've always just um you know for us when it comes to you know our marriage it's like when there's an issue we need to talk about it mm-hmm. like none of the like oh we're gonna sleep on it and talk about it tomorrow like both of us just don't operate like that like it's like let's just let's just knock this thing out and figure it out um, I think we tend to not really talk about, um, issues, business issues, like in front of our like team, you know what I'm saying? It's always like, Hey, let's step outside or let's step into the office. And then, um, you know, if there's like something that's like, Oh crap, it, it needs immediate attention. We've been known to like go get in our car and have like a talk or go down to the summit and get a coffee and talk about it there. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, in the same way that we encourage people to have like that person to person conflict, like, you know, if Amy and John have a problem with each other, don't go talk to Steve about it. Like Amy and John need to work it out. Um, it's the same way with us. Like if we don't see eye to eye, we got to get aligned, have a thing. And like, I just know that like, you know, it's, it's pretty simply think about it. like I do the back and she does the front. And when we don't disagree, or when we disagree, we need to have a conversation about it, but it, it kind of translates down even to like the chef and the GM of like, they kind of have this marriage and you know, if there's, if it's a back of the house thing and the GM doesn't agree, like the chef gets the ultimate say. And, and, you know, it's kind of the same thing in the front of the house. Like if she wants this wine on, and I think it's too expensive. Like that's not my call to make. Mm-hmm. I have to respect her as my business partner, as my wife, as whatever. And it's kind of been the same thing with parenting and with like, 
you know, raising our kids and stuff like that. It's just, just like, it's a team effort. We got to be in a line front. I mean, there are going to be times where it's super tough. Um, one of us has to work a lot because we're going through transition of losing a manager. And so all of a sudden we're working on instead of, or we're working in instead of on. So that's challenging, but I mean, it happens and you just kind of like, that's when it's time for me to like step up and help more out at home or help more out here at the restaurant, whichever, you know, Avenue needs the assistance during the time. Um, but yeah, I'm in the same boat as Katie, like, you know, there, I mean, there's times where it's like, Oh my gosh, this is tough. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty fun. You know, when you get to watch someone that, you know, you love and, you know, just watch them just get so creative and, you know, watch them crush what they do. It's very fulfilling for me. Same. And I'll give Joe a lot of credit. He's definitely not afraid or does not shy away from like household duties. You know what I mean? And I know that's sort of like a stigma sometimes for men that they're like, well, but he's very involved with our kids and like super helpful around the house and stuff like that. So we both like, we really truly look at one another as, as, partners and like we just we'll do whatever needs to get done you know and neither of us is shy about like taking on something when in doubt clean the house and like (laughs) right on like (laughs) if if she comes home to a clean house like it's you're in good shape happy wife happy life (laughs) that is there's some really great wisdom there (laughs) (laughs) amen to that so uh Man, this has been, you know, I hadn't met you guys before this. I've heard a lot about you, uh, obviously, from Adam and other folks that love your your restaurants, and we do too. And I, I live in South Park, so moving, you know, driving up way up north is is a trek. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's it's not, but it, it, yeah, it's, it's, like it's really up, fun to go up there. Uh but you guys have really provided a lot of really interesting insights on leadership, on management, setting the tone on hiring practices that differentiate you from other people, but that are still true to your values. Um, some really good things in this, this one too. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll put links to uh, the restaurants and, in addition to that, is there anywhere else that you want us to send people to check you guys out or check the companies out, anything like that? Um, I mean, really all we have is our three websites. Milk Bread is not quite up yet. Um, Tell us about Milk Bread. I mean, that, it's the normal stuff. We don't have any like special, like cool okay. thing working on or anything. tell us about milk bread you know what's that concept where is it going to be located when's it going to be open etc yeah so i mean probably fall ish i don't know construction right now is a little yeah maybe early early winter yeah so towards what's called fourth quarter 2021 um but it's going to be in davidson it's over um it's the second roundabout in the right off of exit 30 so it's it's right in that same plaza with that harris teeter and oh cool um, yeah right there in that corner space big windows it's a beautiful space um but that so that was actually a pandemic pivot brought to life so when we were in the middle of the covid shutdown like all restaurateurs we just 
through everything at the wall, like to see what would stick. And so we pivoted to like a more um, casual, I would say menu, like menu for, that was easier to travel. You know what I mean? Like you can't really send people home with like a crudo. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we did like more sandwiches and stuff like that. Um, and everybody was kind of into comfort food at that moment. Like if you remember, everybody was like, kind of like feeling a need for a little comfort. So, <laughs> so we, um, so we, we really had a lot of success with our chicken sandwiches. We took our milk bread and made donuts out of it. And like these milk bread donuts just absolutely sent Davidson. <laughs> like we like literally stopped traffic one day. When yes. we you, you we're shut, doing you that. Like, down. I think we made more people mad. I know we because sold we, out we ran so out quick. so fast and then people were so upset at us. But anyways, <laughs> but they were a huge hit. And, and so then post COVID <clears throat> shutdown, um some of our investors approached us and they were like have you ever thought about like making that a thing like making that a restaurant like your covid pivots were all so successful and we're like you know we hadn't thought about that so um so yeah milk bread is born so we took milk bread and made it one word and that's the name and we'll serve the donuts we'll serve fried chicken it'll be like bowls salads um espresso but it's also kind of fun because it's sort of you know, we haven't really told this story quite yet, but like it also is incorporating um, some of our ex-employees. So like we told you earlier, like we really do feel very strongly that we want to leave a wake of successful people. And so this restaurant will incorporate at least three, four of our former employees who have gone on to become their own business people. So Verdant Bread, um, the two guys that you, that own and created that business after they worked at Kindred, um, we'll be using their toast. Hex Coffee, who is a former bartender of ours who went on to create his own coffee company. And then uh, Hannah Yunetsko, who is an artist, will be hanging her art on the wall. And she's a former employee at Hello Sailor. So we're kind wow, of excited cool. that we can like partner uh, with some of our former employees. Um, it's gonna be a very community focused restaurant anyway. We want it to be a place where the community can gather all day long and hang out. And so it's kind of fun that we can take in some of our um, ex-team members and get them involved too. And then all of us that were too far back in the line to get the donuts can now be happy because now we've I'm got a place so to go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to people for that. I'm so sorry. There will be plenty of donuts this time. That's a, it's a good problem for you guys to have. So yeah, we'll be amazing. making them like all day. So there will yeah. be, they will not run out of that. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. This has been a tremendous conversation. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us. Yeah, pleasure was all ours. Thank you. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thank you, you guys so take care. Look forward you to hearing do it. the same. Sell lots of stuff tonight and keep making positive ripples out there. Yes, oh, sir. Will you. do. All right, take care, guys.